continue in our study looking through the book of Hebrews. And we are looking at passage uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through 510. I believe Dan Curley preached on that last uh, week. My wife and I have been, uh, I've been out of the pulpit for two weeks. And I'm so relaxed right now. It's amazing. I'm so relaxed. We took a little bit of time off to refresh and re-energize before the fall started. So thank you for uh, granting us that time. But it is exciting to be back and with you as we dream and think about things uh, ahead. So let me read this passage, Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest is chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. Well, I remember the picture in my mind as clear as it was yesterday. I was looking out the window and the sky was a strange green that I'd never seen before. It was almost bizarre, like it was too light to be light for that time at night. My sister and I were together. I was five years old and she was six years old. And we saw as the wind began to pick up We were so young, we didn't realize what the words tornado warning meant as we lived in Dallas, Texas. And as we peered out through our panoramic plate glass window, as the wind began to pick up and up, we stared in fascination. It was only then that my mother, having jumped out of the shower after taking a shower, came into the living room and realized what was happening. She picked us up, one under each arm, and did something that I never would have imagined that she would have done. She stuffed us in a closet and jumped in there with us and shut the door. And there we were in pitch dark. And I asked my mom what was going on. She just was silent. As we heard the wind continue to pick up, getting louder and louder and louder, I began to be nervous. Well, finally, the wind calmed down, and somehow my mother knew it was okay to go out. And we emerged and went outdoors to see that our entire neighborhood had been wrecked. 
Trees had been pulled down. A neighbor's entire roof had been pulled off of their house and dropped into our next door neighbor's front yard. A hurricane, excuse me, a tornado had come through and just cut a swath of destruction in our neighborhood. It was then that I understood the concept of a safe room. See, my mother explained to me that the closet was the safest place in our house that we could go to get away from the devastation that was going all around us. Well, I lived in Dallas for 12 years, so this was a drill that we got used to. The sirens would blare whether I was at school or at home, and we would go find refuge in the safest place, that safe room that hopefully could protect us from the storm. This concept of a safe room is not only in the Southwest. Many wealthy people or diplomats have these rooms installed called panic rooms that if somebody infiltrates the house, they immediately go to the panic room and shut the door where they can be protected from whatever's coming their way. I don't know if you saw that movie with Jodie Foster, Panic Room, which illustrates that. Happens now even on ships. These large ships where the pirates, the Somali pirates, will board the ship, they've started constructing these safe rooms that the entire crew will go to and lock themselves in where they can be protected from the onslaught of whatever is coming. It's good to have a safe room when you need protection, isn't it? So the question that I have for you today is, where is your safe room? Where's the place you go when the sky turns green? when life flips upside down, when all of a sudden the challenges come against you, that phone call from the doctor, that challenge with the checkbook, when your friends are deserting you, when your health is failing you, where is the safe place that you can go? This passage here is all about the safe place. In fact, the safest place of all. And the safest place in the world that we can go is not in the world at all. Rather, the safest place we can go is in the throne room of God. Psalm 91 puts it this way, that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. The astounding truth we see in this passage is that we have gained access to the safest room in the universe, the throne room of God. And the reason that we can have access to the safe room is because Jesus Christ has secured it for us. There are three things we're going to talk about in this sermon. Number one, Jesus Christ has secured us access to the throne room of God. Number two, how has he done it? He has secured us access by his holiness. And finally, number three, how has he also done it? He has secured us access by his chosenness. And so my hope for you by the end of the sermon is that you will know how to enter this safe place that God has given to all who trust in Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at this first point, that Jesus has secured us access to the throne room of God. As we've been going through Hebrews, Jesus has been talking, uh, the writer has been talking about how Jesus is superior. He's superior to the angels, chapters 1 and 2, all the spiritual beings that exist. He is a cut above them. And then the writer has been talking about how Jesus is superior to the prophets, how Jesus is superior to Moses. 
And now the writer is going into how Jesus is superior to the high priest, to Aaron. Now, if you'll remember, it's the prophet, Moses, who represents God to man. How would we know what God is like if Moses didn't share the commandments? But the priest represents man to God. So the prophet is coming down, and the priest is coming up. And so we see that in the Old Testament, God instituted this priesthood, a way that man could go to God. You'll remember that God came to the nation of Israel and said that all, out of all the nations, I will dwell with you, and I will be in your presence. But it wasn't a free, unfettered presence. God did not roam at will throughout the nation of Israel. Rather, he commanded that a tabernacle and then a temple would be built, a place where he would dwell. And within that temple, there was one special room, the Holy of Holies, 20 feet by 20 feet by 20 feet, a perfect cube in which the Ark of the Covenant sat and the presence of the Lord dwelt over that ark. And that was the one place where man could come into contact with God. And he appointed a high priest, the first one being Aaron, who could come in and could be in God's presence. But he couldn't just come in at will. He had to wear special garments. In fact, there were these stones that were on his shoulders, and engraved on the stones on his shoulders were the 12 tribes of Israel to indicate that when he walked into the throne room of God, excuse me, when he walked into that Holy of Holies, that he was walking in as the representative of the people of God. And he, every time that he would come in, which was once a year, he would come in with blood. With fear and trembling, he would present sacrifices for the people, and he would present sacrifices for himself. But we see here in this passage that Jesus Christ is referred not to as a high priest, but as a great high priest. In fact, in the Greek, the word is mega. He's the mega high priest. And we see something very interesting, that this high priest, Jesus, though not of the line of Aaron, has entered not the holy of holies, but rather he has entered into heaven itself. And there is where we begin to understand what the temple and the high priest was all about. See, when the construction of the temple and the priest occurred, in Exodus 25:40, God says, as he gives the directions to Moses, see that you make everything according to the pattern shown on the mountain. See, all the temple was, was a pattern, a shadow of a heavenly reality that as there was a holy of holies on earth, there was an actual throne room that it represented in heaven, the actual place where God dwelt. And we see here that Jesus is the mega high priest of Aaron who was a shadow of. Jesus has actually entered into the throne room of God. No one had ever done that before, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus enters into the throne room of God, he doesn't leave it. Aaron would go in once a year, he would come out. And for a thousand years, again and again. But Jesus going into the throne room of heaven has opened a door to the throne room. 
Notice in verse 14 what it says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, no one ever entered into the Holy of Holies with confidence, and yet Jesus has, and because he has, we can too. Jesus has given the final priesthood that is sufficient. He was the most influential possibly person in Kennedy's cabinet, though few grasped his significance. He had extreme influence, of able to affect even the moods of the president. Though he had less than a high school education, he was able to enter into the president's room and counsel him. He had routine access to sensitive documents, to the president, even to the family of the president. While other high-powered diplomats, military and political, were turned away, he could enter the Oval Office almost at will and observe the comings and goings. Who was this man? Was it Dean Rusk? Was it Robert McNamara? No, it was actually John Jr. <laughs> John Jr., here's a picture. I don't know if you remember that Kennedy was one of the few sitting presidents to have a child while being in office. And John Jr. would be photographed here and there being in his office. Here he is under the resolute desk while Kennedy works. You see, John Jr. was able to walk with confidence into the Oval Office where other much greater men feared to tread. Why? Because it was just dad to him. I'm sure there were times when John Jr. skinned his knee and he would go busting in, interrupting whatever meeting was going on to be comforted by his father. What does this teach us about what I'm talking about? This fact that because Jesus Christ has entered into the throne room of his father, we can approach in the same manner. In fact, the scripture bids us to approach. Let us approach. And when we go to this throne of God, what do we find? A throne of fear? A throne of punishment? No, a throne of grace. And when we come to our heavenly Father, we're able to find grace and mercy in our most deep time of need. Where do you go? Where is your throne of grace when you're in that deep time of need? Maybe right now you're having a difficult time in your life. You're having challenges in identifying yourself. Where do I fit in this world? Can't quite find myself where I fit in in this community, where I fit in in my job, where I fit in in my friendships or relationships. Where do I go to find myself? Maybe you go to the power of positive thinking. You know, just pull up your bootstraps and everything will work out. Maybe you go to the liquor bottle or to the pillbox or to the refrigerator or to that website or to that person. Wherever it is that you go, it's not the safe place that God has given to you because the safest place in the entire universe is its control room, the throne room of God. And so I bid you to go. 
Go with your deepest needs. Go with expectancy. Go with confidence. Go with hope. Because Jesus Christ has secured us access to the safest place in the world, the throne room of God. Well, this brings me to my second point. Because some of us are questioning, wait a second, how is that possible? I mean, we can take this analogy of John Jr. too far. But I want to touch on the point that Jesus Christ secures us access by his holiness. See, Christ entered into the throne room not, as his, not in his capacity as son, but in his capacity as high priest, as a man. See, what if my mother was to take me, if I was John Jr.'s age, and was to take me to the front steps of the White House and was to say, hey, my son wants to go in and play underneath uh, President Kennedy's desk, so would you let him in? They would say, no way. See, other than John Jr., the only people who are allowed in the Oval Office is on the basis of their merit. Jesus Christ already was in the throne room. But we see here that Jesus Christ is entering in his capacity not as son, but rather as high priest. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet, but without sin. Verse 5.1 continues the point. For every high priest is chosen among men appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices. See, Jesus already had access to the Father. The goal of Jesus Christ was to give us access. And so Jesus had to do that, not on basis of his begottenness, but on basis of his merit. And that is why Jesus Christ came to heaven. That is why Jesus Christ had to live a perfect life. Understand that man was made in the image of God, man and woman. Every single one of us were designed to have access to the throne of God from the beginning. That was man's gift. But man was granted provisional access. He had a task to occur, to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the creatures. And if you are faithful to the task that I have given you, on your, bear, on your merit, you will be granted access to the throne room of God. But we all know what happened. Man sinned and fell short of the glory of God. The entire race fell from his standing. It's standing, thrown out of the throne room of God. And so as a result, that's why the priest had to make provision not only for his sin, the sins of the people, but for his sin as well. See, Jesus Christ entered into a sin-infected world. He had to face every temptation that you and I face. Temptation to worship others. Temptation to worship himself. Temptation to hate Temptation to envy. Temptation to not be thankful. That's why we see in verse uh, 8, 5, 8, this very strange statement that although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. See, he had to learn obedience as a son, as a young boy, the selfishness that comes along with childhood, as a young adolescence, 
being free from the temptation caused by those hormones. As a young man, the ambitions that we express. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Well, wasn't Jesus Christ already perfect? Yes, as God. But he needed to be made perfect as a man if he wanted to grant mankind access. So we see that Jesus Christ entered into the sin-infected planet and after 33 years of temptation, emerged holy. K-19 was one of the first submarines of the hotel class. It was a first-generation nuclear sub in the Russian Navy, equipped with nuclear anti-ballistic missiles. And in July 4th, 1961, under Captain Nikolai Zateyev, they were in Greenland, uh, off the coast of Greenland, doing uh, exercises when they developed a major leak in the reactor coolant system. The temperature of the reactor rose all the way up to almost melting the nuclear rods. No backup system had been installed, though Zateyev had asked that they had done so. And so Zateyev had to make the decision how to stop the leak. And so he fitted up seven engineers with chemical suits to enter into the infected area to try to fix the leak before the entire thing melted down. These engineers didn't know that they weren't wearing radiation-proof suits. In fact, they didn't really even exist at the time in the Soviet Navy. And so they went into the contaminated area and they found a way to uh, weld a water supply tube to flow fresh cooling water across the rods and they managed to bring down the temperature. But because the air vents were open in K-19, the entire crew was infected. All were contaminated. Those seven engineers died within one week of averting the crisis, 15 more over the next two years. But they were able to tow the the damaged vessel back to the Soviet Union. That's the reason K-19 earned the term the Widowmaker. Some of you may have seen the movie with Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson. You see, the earth was contaminated by sin. Every single person, every single human, no one was immune from its effects. And in order to accomplish what man was supposed to accomplish, one had to come from without the system. And so Jesus Christ made it into heaven the old-fashioned way. He earned it. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. See, many of us, we won't enter into the throne room of God because we realize we're contaminated. And to us, the most dangerous place in the entire world is the throne room of God, where our sinfulness meets up with the holiness of God. Maybe some of you right now are still trying to figure out how to make it into that room. So you play the religion game. Go to church, read your Bible, memorize your verses, do right things, feel guilty when you screw up or you say that word that you weren't supposed to. But still you approach with tentativeness because you're afraid to walk through that door. Or maybe some of you have just given up. There's no way I'm going to be able to go into that throne room. I know what I've done. I know what I'm doing. There's no way that God would accept me. But the truth of the matter is that a way has been opened into the throne room of God. Jesus Christ, 
Romans 8.34 puts it this way, who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. See, if sin was the result of the contamination of the first man, Adam, holiness can be the contamination of the second man, Jesus Christ. And so what are we to do to take advantage of his holiness? Verse 14 tells us, hold fast to our confession. Not in ourselves, but in Jesus. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, to hold fast to our confession is to say that Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my answer. Jesus is my doorway. It's not my holiness, but his. It's not my finished work, but his. And so when you are on the outside of that throne room, struggling to come in, look to Jesus. When you don't think you belong, look to Jesus. When you don't think that he hears, look to Jesus. Jesus Christ has granted us access to the safest room on earth. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so we can receive grace and mercy in our time of need. This brings me to my third and final point, that Jesus has secured us access not only by his holiness, but he has also secured us access by his chosenness. Look at verse 4. No one takes this honor by himself, but only when he is called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now here's a question for you. Wasn't Jesus the son before? Wasn't Jesus the son, the only begotten son, from all eternity? Yes. But when Jesus is saying this, he is making a public declaration before the world, this is my son, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the one who I have appointed as Messiah, Savior. The truth of the matter is this appointment came even before Jesus came to earth. John 17, 4, I have brought you glory. This is Jesus praying to God his Father. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. See, it's a testament of love that Jesus Christ accepted this work that would result in his eventual death. And so there is no one else to go to. There is no other high priest we can find. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other way under heaven by which we must be saved, no other name. We cannot find another, appoint another, elect another. There may be wise people, enlightened thinkers, people of keen insight, religious leaders, but only one. Not your pastor, not your spouse, not your boss, not your friend, only Jesus Christ. He is the one who has been appointed. Good friend of mine, uh, some of you know his name, is uh, named Scott Rigel. Scott was a good friend of mine. We were on the vestry at uh, Galilee Episcopal Church a while ago. And Scott and I were on the elders that helped start a church called Trinity Church down at the beach 
that I ended up being a teaching pastor at before I was here. Scott was a successful guy, a great businessman, great with his family. I really like Scott a lot. But Scott had this passion to serve uh, this area, and so he decided to run uh, as congressman. Now, Scott understood something that any person running for office does. You can't declare yourself the winner, can you? You got to go out. You got to campaign. You got to say what you believe and what you stand for, and you've got to press the flesh and do all of these variety of different things in the effort of getting your message out. But at some point, there is a time, that day of judgment when people vote. And on that day when they voted, and there were a variety of very qualified candidates, it was Scott who was elected as the congressman. I remember when Scott was asked the question, you know, how do you feel you've been elected here as the congressman? And Scott's answer was very simple. He simply said, I feel very humbled. Because Scott understood that it wasn't on himself to gain that office. It had to be given to him from someone else. See, the high priest can't just decide to be the high priest. Even then, that analogy isn't perfect. Because the high priest is not elected. He's appointed. And he's not appointed from below. He's appointed from above. Jesus Christ is the one who has been appointed as high priest to take those who follow him into the throne room of God. And so we can approach because he is authorized to bring us there. He is the official high priest of heaven. I don't know if you've gone to a football game lately, but you know when you go and you, you used to just give your ticket. You know, they tear your ticket and you go in and not anymore. You give the ticket and they have one of these scanners, right? Because a ticket can look like a ticket, but there's actually only one official ticket. And they're able to scan it and see the barcode, whether it's the real McCoy or not. See, that's what's going on. There are many fakes out there, my friends. Many people that masquerade as the high priests. But Jesus Christ is the source of eternal salvation to all who believe him. He is your official representative. And so if you want him to be your official representative, what you do, obey him. Look at the last verse there, verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who, who obey him. See, there's a combination here between love and obedience. John 14, 21, Jesus said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. See, as Jesus was obedient to the Father to earn salvation, so we are obedient to the Son to recognize him as our salvation. So I unabashedly tell you that if you want access to the throne room of God, to put all your eggs in one basket, in the basket of Jesus Christ, embrace the real thing. Well, the safest room in the entire world is the throne room of God. And you and I can gain access, not by ourselves, but by Jesus Christ who has secured access for us by his holiness and by his chosenness. So go. Go today. 
When you approach the throne, you won't find condemnation. You'll find grace. Go boldly. Go often in prayer to ask for his grace and mercy in your time of need, and you will find it. Because Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and late, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen. Let's pray.